the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Here's Pastor Jessica Stan to begin today's broadcast of Way of Grace. Here's what Peter is saying. Not only is the Spirit of God doing His own thing with the Gentiles in Cornelius' house, but the Spirit of God is bringing me into remembrance of what Jesus said He would do to affirm that this work very much was the work of the Spirit of God. Is it the work of the Spirit of God to bring Scripture back to our memory, particularly in the context of situations wherein that word is appropriate to the need? It's time for Way of Grace as Pastor Jessica Stan continues our series in Acts. When the Apollo astronauts were preparing to land on the moon, they always approached from the east with the sun shining behind them. It was the only way to avoid a massive crater that would cause a fatal crash. Now, you and I will likely never fly to the moon, but an improper perspective on life here on Earth can be just as dangerous and even deadly. A godly perspective is the goal as we join Pastor Jesse for today's broadcast here in Acts chapter 11. All right, I'm in Acts chapter 11. I'm going to start at verse, I'll start back at verse 15, go through verse 17. I'm going to pick up on my last point and then we'll work through our new outline today. As you guys know, we are at that point. I call it a pivotal point with regards to Peter. We'll have one more segment with him in chapter 12 and then things radically change in terms of the focus of ministry. We will return again to the ministry of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13. But Peter is in what we have uh, discovered over the last couple of weeks, a precarious state, because he is having to give an account to the Jewish leaders, the apostles among them, for having gone to the Gentiles and preached the gospel to the Gentiles and entered into the house of the Gentiles and the uh, the verses subsequent to verse 17 and 18 will also give us some insight into just how difficult it was for the Jewish leadership to submit to what God was doing as he was bringing Gentiles into the kingdom. So as Peter is closing out his argument, his defense of what he was doing, he says in verse 15 through 17 of Acts 11, and as I began to speak, The Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I? that I could withstand God. 
This is his argument, and this is the last point in our, our, our outline under that statement where I said, I could not withstand God. That was in our previous outline. This is the point. I could not withstand God. Now, why would Peter say that? Because he knew that the thinking of his Jewish brethren was operating on a horizontal plane instead of a vertical plane. I used this term before. I'll share it with you just to uh, jar your thoughts as we are getting the cobwebs out of our head. How many of you remember me using the term the horizontal dilemma? How many of you remember that term, the horizontal dilemma? Now, the horizontal dilemma is that faulty thinking into which we enter when we fail to recognize that God is in control of what's taking place. The horizontal dilemma is when you and I are looking at things from a human standpoint only. We have failed to realize that God is sovereign and that the events that are occurring, God has allowed in his own uh, inscrutable way. And if we don't first acknowledge that God is in control of the events, the dilemma that occurs is we will respond, draw conclusions, generally wrongly, based upon some human or personal interest that has nothing to do with God. The horizontal dilemma is what Israel constantly fell into when they were being led out of the land of Egypt into the promised land and they were going through the wilderness, remember? And the evidence that they had fallen prey to a horizontal dilemma is that they were complaining. Complaining is an evidence that we have fallen prey to a horizontal dilemma. When you and I are not praying but complaining, when we have um, views that are rooted in merely what we see, what's taking place in front of us, and particularly if they grate us against the way we want things to be. You and I have fallen prey to the horizontal dilemma. Israel constantly failed to realize that God was leading them through the wilderness. And so every stop over the 42 encampments that they had engaged in, remember what the basic tenor of their words were? And they murmured against the Lord. They murmured, they murmured, they murmured against the Lord. And in fact, it became one of those sort of uh, fixed uh, models of a relationship between the Lord and his people of which um, the psalmist says it. And Jesus even says it with whom was the Lord grieved? Was it not with Israel and the wilderness because of their constant complaining? They grieved the Lord over that 40 year period. They grieved him because they would not believe him. They grieved him because they would not trust him. They grieved him because they failed to see the workings of God in their life as they were going through the wilderness. Can God provide a table for us in the wilderness? Can he give us bread? Can he give us wine? Can he give us food? Can he get us through this wilderness? Did God bring us out here to kill us? These were the things they were saying. Now, have you ever fallen prey to the horizontal dilemma? See. And what's fascinating is that where you and I are in the book of Acts, which is about the year A.D. 40, um, six to seven years after the resurrection of Christ, is that these same people, I believe, are still stuck on the horizontal dilemma. 
They're still struggling with being in control. The leadership in Israel is struggling with how is it that Peter is going somewhere of which they have not approved or God has not talked to them first and God didn't let them in on what he was doing. And now all of a sudden, uh, Peter is uh, explaining how the Gentiles are coming into the kingdom and the leadership in Israel is really looking at Peter with a very narrow eye. And Peter is closing out his argument, as we had stated last week, with this language. How could I withstand God? How could I stop God? Now, why would he say that other than to be appealing to the backwards thinking of his Jewish brethren? Why would he say, how could I, who am I that I should have withstood God? He's saying that because he knows right now in the thinking of the leadership in Israel, including some of the apostles, they don't quite like what's going on. And all Peter is saying is, hey, I couldn't stop it. Who am I? And it actually, in the, the literal, uh, uh, in the literal Greek language, it was, who am I to stop what God is doing? I couldn't stop it then. I can't stop it now. I will never be able to stop what God is doing. That's the language. So what Peter was doing was resigning to the sovereignty of God for himself, willing to let the chips fall where they may. It's amazing. So under that particular rubric, I could not withstand God. We have two things to consider. The whole experience overcame his prejudice and ultimately theirs. Remember, we contemplated how he struggled with the uh, vision. We contemplated how he struggled with going to Cornelius's house. We contemplated how Peter struggled when he got there. Hey, hey, you know, us Jews, we don't we don't do this. He struggled with the whole process and all the way through the spirit of God was giving him revelation that this is exactly what I want you to do. And in fact, if you look back at verse um, 16, this is interesting. He had said in verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then he says in verse 16, then remembered I the what? The word of the Lord. Interesting, because now what he's saying to his Jewish brethren is the spirit of God is doing exactly what Jesus said he would do. And that is bring the word of God back to remembrance concerning the things that Christ had taught them. Here's what Peter is saying. Not only is the spirit of God doing his own thing with the Gentiles in Cornelius's house, but the spirit of God is bringing me into remembrance of what Jesus said he would do to affirm that this work very much was the work of the spirit of God. Is it the work of the spirit of God to bring scripture back to our memory, particularly in the context of situations wherein that word is appropriate to the need? Peter was saying, and as I'm observing all this, guess what the Holy Ghost is doing? Reminding me that Jesus said this would occur. He's strengthening his argument for himself against his Jewish brethren. And when he closed out with those words, look at verse 18. Here's what it says. Now, when they heard these things, they held their peace. You see that? They held their peace. So for a moment, they were checked. They were restrained for a moment. And I say that advisedly. And they glorified God, saying this, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. My goodness. You see all the work that Peter put in? How it ultimately caused them to capitulate and agree with Peter Then God is working? But I would submit to you that even though they are articulating the God honest truth, deep down in their heart, there's still reservations. Because in two chapters from now, when we get to chapter 15, they're going to be back at it again. 
which shows that virulent strain of unbelief that can drape anyone who thinks somehow that salvation can be obtained by something you do or by who you are. The Jewish people thought that just because they were Abraham's seed, they had the right of entrance into the kingdom of God and no one else could enter in except they entered in through them. So they gave Peter kudos and then we begin to work through the subsequent verses of 19 through 30. And I'm going to read here verses 19. I think I'll read all the way through verse 24 and then we'll work with our new outline. Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen or Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none only but the Jews. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Now watch this, watch this. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. Aha, they heard it again. God's working somewhere else. Then tidings came to the church in Jerusalem and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave to the Lord for he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church inasmuch, uh, and, and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. All right. This is where we are in our new outline. I'm going to start with my uh, first point under getting our priority straight in the gospel. That's your new outline. Getting our priority straight in the gospel. And so the first point under that is to the Jew first. To the Jew first. So we're in our new PowerPoint, you guys. We're in our new PowerPoint. Getting the gospel, getting the priority of the gospel straight. Now, when I make that statement, I'm actually talking to the Jewish leaders. I'm talking to Peter. I'm talking to James. I'm talking to John. I'm talking to Andrew, Bartholomew, all of the brothers that are in Jerusalem. I'm saying to them, you got to get your your priority straight when it comes to the gospel. You, you guys got to understand that God is the one that's actually doing the saving. So you can pull it back up and let's just do the Bible verses. Everybody has your outline. So under the first one, we're dealing with to the Jew first. Um, and my, my point is, as I am talking about getting our priority straight in the gospel, is that God has a method by which he is saving people. He's always had a method. He, he knows whom he's going to go to first and then subsequent to them to other people. This rule then that I want to call your attention to has to do with the way the gospel had come to the Jewish people first and then it would go to the Gentiles. So we read in verse 19 through 21 that during the persecution, remember in Acts chapter 7, Stephen was put to death. And at that point in Acts chapter 8, the, the church had started receiving persecution. They were scattered abroad all the way through Rome. This is where Luke is picking up again in verse 19 and then in verse 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, watch this now, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. 
and a great number of them believed and turned to the Lord. Now, what what uh, what verse 19 and 20 is talking about is the priority of the uh, disciples to go to Jews first and share the gospel to go to the Jews first. And that was a legitimate rule. And it was a pattern that was set up by Jesus. Um, in fact, in the gospel of Matthews, chapter 10, verse six, let's go there briefly. You'll see this pattern laid down in another place in the gospel of Matthews and Luke. Jesus says, I am sent not, but to the lost sheep of the house of what? Israel. So even in his own earthly ministry, Jesus did not go to the Gentiles primarily, and nor did he go to them first. And I just want you to be able to see these principles laid down. In Matthew chapter 10, we're going to read verse uh, 5 and 6. This is where our Lord Jesus Christ is sending out his disciples. Here's what he says in chapter 10 of Matthew, verse 5 and 6. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, now watch this, here it is, do not go in the way of the Gentiles. And to enter any city of the Samaritans, do not enter, but go rather to what? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, go preaching, saying the kingdom of God is at hand. So the disciples had received from the Lord this priority of first sharing the gospel with his own kinsmen. Go to chapter 15 and look at verse 24 of Matthew's gospel as well. And there's a reason for which. Uh, they would have had the uh, privilege of the gospel being preached to them first. Matthew chapter 15, and this is where our Lord actually makes mention himself of his own priority. In Matthew 15, verse um, 24, Matthew 15, 24. Uh, let me start back at verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre Sidon. And behold, a woman of, of Canaan came out the same coast, and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the what? Lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he uttered this principle. That his primary objective was first to bring the gospel to the Jewish people. Now, Paul picked that ethic up all through the New Testament. You guys heard this when we were in the book of Romans. How would Paul put it? To the Jew first and then what? Also to the Gentile. Paul understood that ethic. Christ understood that ethic. Paul said in Romans chapter 9, Jesus came in the flesh to the nation of Israel because the promises and the covenants and the adoption all pertain to them. His physical human nature was a byproduct of Israel being a conduit by which Christ came into the world. And why then would um, Christ come to the Jews with the gospel first? Because they had actually, by the grace of God, successfully done 1,500 years of obedience slash disobedience by which the Messiah came into the world. I say obedience slash disobedience because they were really messed up, weren't they? But enough of them had believed the gospel where God could work in the life of Israel to bring them throughout that period of time until what Paul called in Galatians 4, the fullness of time had come. In Galatians chapter 4, what did he say? Christ came in the fullness of time, born of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the curse of the law. What's the point? The point is God is patient with us. 
And, and God is patient with us even in our lapse, in our sinfulness, in our weakness. As much as Israel had rebelled against God. Remember what Paul had said in Romans chapter 9? This was an ethic of God too. The reason why Israel wasn't destroyed was because God said, except I had saved a remnant. Israel would have been altogether like Sodom and like unto Gomorrah. So from 1500 B.C. all the way up to the first century B.C., yes, God punished Israel. Yes, he disciplined them. Yes, he destroyed many of the children of Israel, but he always saved a remnant. In fact, the first century church, Mary, uh, Martha, Mary Magdalene, um, Hannah, the prophetess, Simon, all of those believers were a nucleus of those who actually waited on the consolation of Israel. And God often preserves the whole because of the faithfulness of a few. And that was the case with um, Christ coming into the world. But it's also that because they had done that, he was obligated to share the gospel with them. Now, under that, that particular rubric, point number one, to the Jew first, there are three things that I want to call your attention to. First, the blessing of it. You guys see that in your outline? The blessing of it. What is the blessing of it? Well, when the gospel comes to you, there's an opportunity for salvation. That's Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, then also to the Gentile, Right? For the scripture says, as it is written, the just shall live by faith, as it is written, um, uh, uh, you know, as it says, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so the gospel comes to them because they are the ones that bore the history of God's providence and God's purpose. Go to Romans chapter two now, show you a couple more verses along those lines before we move forward. This is how Paul was arguing about um, Israel being uh, recipients of the gospel first in Romans 2, as we have been going through the study in Romans chapter 1 and 2, where Paul is now chiding Israel um, for their presuming that because they had the law, they were good. Remember in Romans 2 verse 1, therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever you are that judges, for wherein you judge another, you condemn yourself. For thou that judges doest the same thing. He's talking to the Jews now. And then he says, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And do you think, O man, that judges them which do these things and you do the same thing that you will escape the judgment of God? And then he says in verse four, or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God is designed to do what? Lead you to repentance. What Paul says now in verses 5 through 7 are very interesting. Listen to this. and It's actually verses 5 um, through 9. He says, but after the hardness and impenitence of your heart, you are treasuring up to yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his what? Now, here's what he says in verses seven through nine, which is quite instructive to all of us. To those who by patient continuance and well-doing, seeking for glory and honor, they will receive immortality and eternal life. Do you see that? This is the way Paul is explaining how men and women respond to the gospel by faith. When the gospel comes to us by faith, this is how we respond. We live a life of patient 
continuance in well-doing because we are seeking glory. And what we will receive in time is honor, I mean, uh, immortality and eternal life. We are seeking glory and honor and immortality and eternal life will be the result of those who are patiently waiting on the Lord. Verse 8. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, here's the reward. Are you ready? Indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil. Now watch this. Of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. Well, you are listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. Closing out our time together today, we invite you to reach out to us. Let us know how the program encourages you in your walk with Christ. Questions, comments, prayer requests are always welcome. You can either write to us, give us a call, or stop by our website and drop us an email. Now, the best place to go, of course, is the website. Not only will you be able to write to us via email, you'll be able to get more information about who we are, what we believe, worship times, how to get here. Grace-Bible.com is our website. Again, that's Grace-Bible.com. If you wish to give us a call, the number is 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, our address is 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street. Here in Hayward, the zip code 94541. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. One final note as we close out our time today, this program is listener-supported. If you wish to partner with us, we would be more than grateful. This broadcast airs throughout the Bay Area as well as online, impacting thousands for the sake of Christ. And that is our hope and our goal. If you'd like to partner with us along those lines, feel free to write or give us a call. No gift is too large, no gift too small, whether a one-time gift or a monthly support. You're more than welcome to reach out. We would love to partner with you as we minister the gospel of Jesus to the Bay Area and the World Wide Web. Thank you for spending time with us today. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.